The Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am back. I'm your host, Fred Houston. And, you know, tonight we're, tonight we're going to be talking about diamonds. Now, don't get your wives and girlfriends all excited. We're not going to be talking about those kind of diamonds, the ones you put on your finger, uh, but the kind that we cut with, the kind that we fabricate with, the kind that we restore with. And what's interesting is, is I get these calls all the time. You know, Fred, what diamond should I use? What brand of diamond should I use? And I'm really not going to discuss brands on this show since there's so many out there, but I'm going to kind of break it down for you as far as, you know, what to look for when purchasing a diamond abrasive. And also probably more importantly is how to make those diamonds last a, a little bit longer. Now, what's really interesting is if I go back to when I first started in the stone industry, uh, I, my first company I started nearly 41 years ago. Uh, I didn't use diamonds. Uh, diamonds were just, or di- I should say diamond abrasives. Let me be very specific because what I'm going to talk about in a minute is the history of diamond tooling. Uh, a little bit about the history, not get into any lengthy discussion about it, but it's just kind of interesting because I've done a lot of research on that. But when, when I first started in the industry, uh, diamond abrasives really weren't that that available. There was a few out there. I remember those little 3M squares, those little two-inch squares, and I think Bracer Technology at the time uh, had some had some diamonds. But we primarily used what we call bricks. Uh, I happened to use Frankfurt bricks uh, for polishing stone surfaces, uh, both marble and granite, and it was a very very time-consuming process. And uh, you know, trying to do do marble and stone with Bricks, as opposed to what we have today, is diamonds is is a, is a lot more difficult than it is with diamonds. You know, and primarily with the bricks, it was like using a piece of sandpaper. It was what we call a loose abrasive. In other words, as the brick would wear down, it would sloth off abrasives. Where diamonds tend to be what we call fixed abrasives. So unless something goes wrong and the diamond falls off the pad or the wheel or the or the, or the blade or whatever, it's fixed. It's not going to uh, caused all kinds of issues, but I could get into hours and hours of stories about using those, but I'm not going to do that uh, here at this show. Uh, if you do have a question concerning today's topic or any other topic when it comes to stone and tile, uh, this is a live show if you're listening live. Uh, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. So as I said, you know, the history of diamond tooling is is kind of interesting. And uh, I I did some research on it. Actually, I've been continually researching this over the years and tried to trace it back to, uh, you know, how far 
back does, does diamond tooling go? And you're surprised how far it went back. And I'm going to read you a couple of paragraphs here from something I, I pulled off the internet, which kind of sums it up. And then I'll, I'll get into the more modern day technology. But, uh, you know, excuse me for reading this, but this is what it says. And I, I think it's really, really interesting. And that is a couple of millennia ago, it is believed that diamonds were used in primitive handheld tools in Egypt and China in the construction of pyramids and the drilling of deep water wells, respectively. Another early use of diamond was in engraving tools introduced in Greece in the 1st century AD and again in the 17th and 18th century in India and China. All of the early uses of diamonds were in hand tools, and it wasn't until the 19th century when diamond tools were mechanized. One of the earliest uses of diamond tool and a mechanized system was introduced in 1862 when Jean Lescott, a Swiss engineer, developed a drilling system for the construction of tunnels. Soon afterwards, as the world started to become industrialized, we see further advancements with the use of diamonds in wire dyes, the development of stationary diamond tools for truing and dressing, the development of the drilling bit for mining, and the diamond saw blade for stone cutting. The 20th century was a century of evolution for the industrial diamond. First was the introduction of the synthetic resin bakelite in the mid-1920s, and the second, Widia, which was it's spelled W-I-D-I-A, or as we know it today, cemented tungsten carbide, which was basically the founding of the metal powder industry. Third, the resin bond diamond wheel was patented in the 1930s. These three products would be the foundation of the industrial diamond industry today. Cemented carbide would soon replace high-speed steel as a cutting tool material, more productive and long-lasting. However, conventional braces were able to form this new material. Diamond grinding was needed, and a new phenolic resin, bake line, was the matrix of choice. All these materials were much more expensive than the predecessors, and since the world was in the midst of the Great Depression, change was slow, and it wasn't until the 1940s during the war years when high production was required did the new materials advance. The industrial diamond industry now made major studies and a number of diamond product companies were formed. Soon, many new products would be introduced through the use of new and varied metal powder matrix systems from the WIDA technology, as well as resin bond products developed from Bakelite process. As the diamond industry proceeded into the 1950s, demand for diamonds exceeded supply and storage developed. Although diamond grinding wheels were a very large consumer of diamonds, other new products were developed, such as the oil patch bit, mining bit, the saw blade, rotary dresser, and all products were developed through the advancement of powder metallurgy, which led to consumption of over 10 million carats. I think that's 10 million. Yeah, 10 million carats by the middle of the 1950s. All diamond products prior to 1956 used natural diamond. However, in 1957, synthetic diamond made an appearance and soon relieved some of the shortages. Now, it should, this is interesting. It should be remembered the diamond pro- products industry today consumes more diamond than any other abrasive in one hour that was consumed in the entire year of 1950. So I, I thought that was worth reading. It's kind of interesting to know that uh, the diamond technology has gone back you know, quite a bit of time. Now, our stone industry, as most of you know, 
uh, always borrows technology from other industries. And as you, you heard in that thing that I just read there, that uh, it was probably borrowed from some other industry, probably the construction industry, tunnel drilling, the jewel industry, the gem industry, or, or whatever. I was told one time that the actual diamond abrasive, those, those abrasives that we're familiar with today, uh, were actually used for polishing glass. Uh, prior to being used uh, during uh, polishing stone. Now, I can remember testing uh, some of the first diamonds uh, that came out way back in the day, and we had all kinds of issues with them. And as I mentioned before, they were the ones that I was familiar with was a little two-inch metal squared uh, diamonds. They were extremely thin, and they still make them today, and they're still a good diamond, but we had issues with them, especially when uh, doing floors, because they would actually grip they were so tight gripping on the on the bottom of the floor machine that they would actually stop the floor machine and blow a breaker. So, and then advances came along over the years. Uh, you know, you have the round diamonds now. You have the actual wedge on them. There were some patent issues back in the day with those as well. Uh, they have a hole in the middle. And, and as you guys see with various diamonds, they're shaped in such a way to actually, you know, bring water into the diamond and to actually clean the clean the diamond and i wouldn't really call it self-cleaning but you have the swirl pattern you have a little dot pattern so you know as you're aware you have all those particular type type of diamonds but when it comes down to it you know again there was not many diamond abrasive manufacturers out there for the stone industry when i got started today if you look around we have diamonds coming from japan from china from russia from hungary uh, from Greece, from South America, from the United States, from Canada. I mean, you name the country, everybody is producing a diamond. So how do you choose? You know, how do you choose the best diamond for, and I'm going to concentrate more on honing and polishing than I'm going to cover on saw blades because I'm, I'm going to do another show uh, with some guests on an actual saw blade tech technology. And actually, we, are, we already did one of those. Um, if you go back and listen to our previous uh, shows, You'll see we've actually discussed that. So I'm going to go through some points. And I actually wrote several articles on this subject. I wrote an article called How to Choose the Right Diamond Abrasive for Honing and Polishing Stone Surfaces. And if you want a copy of that article, just send me an email to fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. I'd be more than happy uh, to send that to you. And then the other article is called 10 Tips for Extending the Life of Your Diamond Abrasives. And that's another article I'd be happy to send you uh, as well. So let's get into it. What do we look for when we're buying these diamond abrasives? Uh, I know a lot of you look at price, but we're not going to discuss price just yet. We will, will in a minute. Is You have to look at the type of stone or engineered stone that you're that you're using these diamonds on now there are claims out there that they're all in one diamonds our diamond will do glass it'll do metal it'll do you know engineered stone it'll do marble it'll do granite it'll do limestone it'll do sandstone it'll do everything i don't quite buy that just yet i, I have not seen a set of diamonds that 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 would work effectively uh, and what I mean by that is that, you know, there are some diamonds that, that can do it all to a point, but you may have trouble with getting a final polish. You might not get the hone that you want. Uh, so th th there are some issues with that. So my recommendation when it comes to buying a diamond is to take a look at what you're what you're doing. And you may need you may need different sets of diamonds for different materials. For example, you may need a softer diamond for marble and a harder diamond for granite. Uh, and we'll get into that in a minute, as well as quartz and, and quartzites. Um, 
there are, you know, I know I've done several shows with several companies describing, you know, how these diamonds are made, the type of bonding or whatever. And I'm not going to talk too much about that, but that's the next thing you want to look at is you want to look at, are you going to use a metal bond diamond or a resin bond diamond? And just as a general, and, and you know, again, with, with our industry, with the stone and tile industry, there's exceptions to every rule. So please take what I'm about to say as there may be some exceptions here. And, this is what I'm going to say about metal bond versus resin bond diamond. Metal bond diamonds are strictly, I shouldn't say strictly, I don't like using that word, are, are generally used for removing stock of material, grinding, grinding lippage down, uh, removing excess material if you're fabricating a, a sink, for example, uh, or, or whatever. Now, you can get metal bond diamonds that are finer that can be used for you know finer hones, but that's where the resin bond diamond comes in. The resin bond diamond is more of a honing slash, you know, polishing based diamond. Now, with your metal bond diamonds, you're going to hear terms like uh, sintered, copper bond, nickel bond, brazed, electroplated, and the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, which one is best uh, depends on who you talk to. It depends on what diamond manufacturer you, you talk to. Your best bet when it comes to, you know, which one you think is best is to uh, ask around, ask some other contractors. That's where all these forums on Facebook and some of the other social media is really good. You can go in there and ask those questions and see see what see what guys like. Um, I will tell you there is a difference uh, when it comes to marble and granite diamonds. And this is something, a little tip that I found out, especially for your restoration guys. And that is, and, and this is going to be hard to believe, but, you know, you would think because granite's harder and that it's harder to actually, you know, hone that a diamond, a, a granite diamond would have more diamond in it when, in fact, it actually has less diamond in it. And, you know, one of the tricks that I, I, I tell guys all the time when it comes to uh, honing, especially uh, granite surfaces, is if you're using six diamonds on a bottom of a floor machine, try using three. And you'll find it'll cut faster with three than it does with six. I know that doesn't make any sense, but it does. Give it a try. If you're having trouble with it cutting, go to three diamonds on the bottom of your drive plate. Or if you're, you know, using a, uh, a, a handheld machine and you're polishing a countertop or, or whatever, try going with less diamond and see if that doesn't get you get you further. Okay, so we've already talked about, you know, are, are we doing edges or are we doing flat surfaces? And there's a difference there because generally your flexible diamonds are what your fabricators are going to be using and your tile installers are going to be using to put an edge on, on your tile, put an edge on your countertop. They'll be flexible. So you want to be able to flex around that full bull nose or even get into that, into that OG. And there's several tricks for that, which I'm not going to discuss here, uh, but sh where you want a rigid diamond is if you're looking for something very flat. Uh, so if you're doing a repair on a countertop and you're you're honing and polishing out a scratch, you want a very rigid diamond as well as a rigid backing. And I know a lot of guys will use a very uh, soft, flexible backing with a rigid diamond, and you can get some waves if you do that. So you want to use a rigid backer and a rigid diamond if you're trying for a flat surface, and that goes goes for uh, obviously for flooring as, as well if you're removing lippage and you want to get a nice flat floor. Now, we've also introduced within the recent years the dry diamond. And uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I won't say I'm not a fan of dry diamonds because there is some use for them. I think one of the, uh, 
the best uses for dry diamond is for your fabricators out there. Uh, when you go in and you do an installation, you put the countertop in and you, you see a little area that, oh, God, they forgot to, they forgot to hone and polish that at the, uh, at the shop. You can just take out a set of dry diamonds and not have to worry about getting water all over uh, the customer's house, so that, that as well. Uh, although there are, are some uses for dry diamonds, but in my opinion, and if I'm wrong here, you know, definitely call me and let me know. In my opinion, the dry diamonds don't last quite as long as the uh, as the uh, uh, the wet diamonds. So for for what it's worth, and of course you have diamond pad size. Pad size you need to take that in consideration. Uh, I remember I don't know if they still make them or not, but I remember they used to make diamond belts. You know for the belt sanders. And I've never used one, but I've I've actually I've actually seen them. So you know you want to make sure you're using the proper size. And I've seen diamonds go down to as low as one inch in diameter up to you know seven, eight, nine inches and, and bigger. So again, it all depends on what surface that, that you're, you're honing and polishing. All right, now I wanna talk about polishing pads because even though it's not a diamond, uh, most of your polishing pads do not contain diamond. They're nothing more than compressed abrasive, whether that's tin oxide or, or aluminum oxide or whatever. And I guess the biggest biggest problem I see with fabricators, especially new fabricators out there is not, using these polishing pads or what you want to call polishing discs properly. Uh, they're made to be used wet to dry. So if you're polishing an edge, especially on something like black, black absolute granite, you can't quite get that color back in there. You want to be able to start out wet and then go completely dry and generate some heat and you'll usually, uh, usually get uh, some good. So as, as far as my final thoughts on buying tips, you know, don't, don't go cheap. Um, you know, in our industry, the cheaper diamonds, in my opinion, just don't work as well as some of the some of the better diamonds. So, you know, you want to invest in a good diamond and, you know, getting into the next topic here, you'll find that the better diamonds will actually last a lot longer. And that goes for saw blades. That goes for anything uh, when it comes comes to abrasives. So you want to make sure that you, you know, invest in a good set of good set of diamonds. All right. Let's take a look at. Um, extending the life of your diamonds and how to, how to properly uh, storm use them, et cetera. Now, if you have any questions, if you're listening live, the phone number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. And again, uh, I've got a copy of both of these articles. I'd be more than happy to email them to you. All you really need to do is send me an email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. Okay, so I've already discussed some of this, but uh, we'll go over it again. And I call this the 10 tips for extending the life of your diamonds. And the first is choose the proper diamond. Uh, choosing the wrong diamond for the wrong material, as we had mentioned before, can wear them out very quickly. Uh, I get calls from, from uh, especially restoration guys all the time that they're wearing their diamonds out in, uh, in a matter of a couple of square feet. And I'm like, well, what kind of diamond are you using? What kind of material are you using it on? And usually that's the problem. Uh, don't buy cheap diamonds. We already discussed that. I've got a couple paragraphs in there on that in the article that you guys can in. Uh, you may need to break in new diamonds. And this is going to depend on the type of diamond. I know some of the diamonds that I've used, uh, they require a break in, especially the resin bond diamonds, because they, when they, they manufacture these, whether it's, you know, however type it's, it's manufactured, and as I mentioned, there's many ways to manufacture resins. It, um, 
is you sometimes can have a thin coating of resin across a diamond and you put that diamond on the bottom of your floor machine or on your countertop or on your edge and it just doesn't cut. So you want to open them up. And the best way I found to open them up is to put them on your machine, whether it's a hand machine or a floor machine, and run them across a concrete concrete block. Now, they also sell dressing tools that will also work, so you want to kind of open them up. Um, so you want to properly expose them for the, for the first use. I also find, especially on floor machines and your, your flat polishers, that you want to rotate your diamonds. And what I basically do there is I number the back of my diamonds. Let's say, I, let's say I'm using six diamonds. So I'll number them one through six uh, on the back of my diamonds. And then I'll number the pods. I'll number them one through six. So maybe the first time I use the diamonds, I'll put diamond number one on pod number one. And then the next time I use them, I may put diamond number one on pod number six or, or, or whatever. Just kind of rotate them. And uh, for some reason, I, I seem to get better wear. Uh, rotating the diamonds that way because sometimes depending on your machine, depending on your operator, you could have a tendency to lean in one direction. And, and you've seen this where the diamonds actually wear on uh, on one one condition, one side or the other. Um, you'll want to use a diamond lubricant. Now, there's a diamond lubricant that I happen to invent that you just put a couple of drops in your, you either put it in your floor machine, uh, your fabricators can actually introduce it into your water system or whatever. But what this will do is it'll lubricate the diamond. Uh, it gives it a, 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 a lubrication that, and this is going to sound weird, which makes water wetter. Uh, there is such a thing. I actually had a whole argument in one of my seminars is can you make water wetter? But it does. And not only does it lubricate the diamond, it cleans the, the diamond as it's as it's being used. And for you guys that do flooring and you're dealing with slurry in your grout lines, it'll actually help you clean up that slurry so the slurry doesn't doesn't stick in there. So if you want to learn more about the uh, diamond lubricant, uh, there's several distributors that carry it, but just drop me an email and uh, I, I can uh, uh, give you the, the people that actually carry that. Um, high speeds, you know, for cutting, drilling, you want to use high speeds, but when you're dealing with, uh, you know, especially your resin-based diamond diamonds, you want to try going lower speeds. You know, I would say in general, do not exceed 5,000 RPM on a floor machine. Obviously, you're going to be going anywhere from 175 uh, to 300 RPM, but you want, want, to, want to use lower speeds. This is especially true if you're dealing with resin materials or, you know, engineered materials, uh, your quartz surfaces. Uh, you will burn them up real quick if you get, get too high, too high speed, especially with metal bond diamonds, but met, resin bond diamonds will do that as well. Uh, how you store them is really important. So what I would recommend is that you rinse them every time. Uh, I usually take like a little soft nylon brush, run them under water and rinse them. And then allow them to dry before you store them. I made a mistake many, many years ago of uh, storing mine in plastic bags and they ended up getting all moldy and mildewed and, and, you, and you don't want to do that. So, so those are some tips that, that I hope will help you uh, with with extending your use of your diamonds and getting better, better life at, at your diamonds. And I don't know if you guys have noticed lately, but the prices are going way up. I mean, I, I know your diamond costs are probably, you know, less than 10% of your total job that you're bidding, but you know, uh, some of them can get quite expensive and they're going to get more and more expensive, especially as, uh, as this inflation keeps going up and up and up and up. So hopefully that'll help. So again, if you want copies of these articles, how to choose the right diamond abrasive for honing and polishing stone, and my other one on 10 tips for extending the life of your diamond abrasives, go ahead and send me an email 
F Houston, F H U E S T O N at gmail.com. And if you want to call in with your question before we wrap things up here, the number is 323 870 3968. Let me take a quick break here and I'll be back right after this. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tufskin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with the proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tufskin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. Alrighty, folks. So I'm assuming all of you are probably listening to this on, on a podcast. Uh, I just wanted to make a couple of quick announcements here. Uh, my stone and tile inspection seminar is full. Uh, maybe squeeze one more person into it, but uh, it is full. It's going to be in Las Vegas, February 7th through the 7th, 10th. Yes, right, February 7th through the 10th of next year in, in Las Vegas. And that's the week after the uh, uh, the Stone Show out there. So a uh, Stone and Tile Show out there. So uh, it is almost full. Like I said, I might be able to squeeze one more, one more in. I, I like to keep these classes as small. However, uh, I'm going to be offering another one sometime in the future. So if you want to get on that waiting list, uh, please send me an email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. I'll put you on my waiting list. And when I schedule the very next one, I'll go ahead and uh, you'll be the first to know know about it before I send a blast out uh, for that. So uh, um, uh, keep that keep that in mind. All right, uh, I'm back. I should be on here every week, uh, maybe Christmas week not. But uh, if anybody has any ideas for a future show, please, again, drop me a line. Uh, I've got some interesting interviews coming up here in the, in the next year. We're up to show number, I think this is 143rd show uh, that I've done. So uh, I thank you for that. We're up to over 25,000 uh, unique listens. So, uh, again, if anybody wants to uh uh, look at sponsoring the show. Uh, I sell ad space uh, very inexpensively. Uh, I do this for educational purposes. I don't make money doing this, so uh, uh, let, me, let me know. All right, folks, until next week, thanks for listening. Keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Are you tired of lugging dozens of stain removal chemicals around to remove stains from stone, tile, or concrete? Did you know you only need three chemicals to remove almost any stain? From organic stains to inorganic stains, Dr. Fred's Ultimate Stain Removal Kit is all you need. The kit contains three reagents and includes a detailed ebook on how to remove almost any stain. So if you're trying to remove difficult ink or rust or simply coffee and other food stains, this kit is all you need. To order, contact Dr. Fred at 321-514-6845. One kit is $69.95 plus shipping. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved 
by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net.